Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Hey, everybody. What's up? Hey, what's up? So we just watched the presidential debates, the 2020 candidates for the Democratic Party. It's incredible. 25, I think, and there might even be more candidates officially running in the election. Um, You know, these are the same people who claim that Trump was this unique threat, that he was the next Hitler, that he was a potential like Manchurian candidate by Russia. Yet all of them seem to think that they're the smartest ones. They're most equipped to deal with the threat. And instead of backing someone who can actually win, like a Bernie Sanders, um, they have all decided to throw their hats in the race. Everyone from Bill de Blasio to Elizabeth Warren. Um, And what ultimately is going to happen is the votes are going to be split. People are confused. All of the rhetoric is starting to just blend together. Um, And the delegates are going to be split from who should be the nominee, which is Bernie, clearly. And uh, yeah, we're going to get Trump again, basically. I mean, it's just really, really a nightmarish scenario. And I dread the next two years um, because my first thought was, has this ever happened before? Like not just the amount of candidates running. Obviously, that's insane. But just the fact that the debates are like more than a year and a half away from the election, like this is how much we're going to let this election cycle dominate our lives and our consciousness. Well, yeah, it just keeps getting earlier and earlier every year. So it was almost this early last time, but it wasn't this, it wasn't quite this early. And there are 20 candidates um, who are eligible for the debates. So basically, there are so many candidates running that they had to split the debates into two different debate tiers on two separate nights. And the way that they did it was a combination of what they said was random selection and also based on their polling. But it's very interesting that it ended up where they actually didn't pit Warren and Bernie against each other. They ended up being in different debates. So in one debate, you had Joe Biden... Kamala Harris, uh, Pete Buttigieg, um, Bernie Sanders, Marianne Williamson, who was a really weird, mm. probably one of the weirdest people in the debates. And then the other debate, you had Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Tulsi Gabbard, um, Tim Ryan, Bill de Blasio, and then Julian Castro. Um, so you had two different debates. And... That was already strange, the way that they split it up, um, that they wouldn't have a Warren basically facing any really any of the other top-tier candidates. I mean, I guess, technically speaking, uh, Cory Booker and Beto O'Rourke are, maybe. But it's just interesting that she wasn't... Why wouldn't she be there with, like, Biden, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris? It just... That seems strange to me, that they would split it up right. that way. Seemed like the Republican right. yeah, debates totally. last time when they did this were split up based just purely on polling. So like everybody in the second tier debate were like all lower polling candidates, like underneath all the ones in the first time. But this wasn't the case this time. So I'm not sure exactly how they decided to do that. But yeah, I mean, should we get into it? Or, or was there anything else important leading up to the the actual debates that we should talk about? Just the fact that so many candidates threw their hats in the ring and that I actually didn't even know half of them on the stage both nights, which is a ludicrous notion. And especially these people who are polling like 1%. It's just like, what is the purpose of 
all of the fundraising, all of this energy to get into the debates. It's like, I mean, I just, I just don't understand this whole election cycle. It's just so egomaniacal and narcissistic. Um, pretty emblematic of everything that's dysfunctional about our society in general. But it just seems like with this election, you would think that the Democratic Party would get their shit together more. Oh, my God. I mean, this seems like one of the weakest pools of people I've ever seen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it is really, really strange. Even the way the first two debates were and the way they were executed were like very, very just on a technical stage managing level, very poorly done. Like so many people were talking over each other, um, Mm -hmm. people going over their time. The moderators acting all huffy, Rachel Maddow, like saying all these snarky comments, just like walking off stage in what seemed like a huff at the end. There was some very strange aspect to it. And then that weird moment in the first night where I went on for, it seemed like almost a whole minute, where they were actually feeding the audio from the previous moderator's lapel microphones into the main feed when Rachel Maddow and Chris Todd sat down, or Chuck Todd sat down. So for about a minute, you heard this a chatter of the moderators in the green room talking like over the whole audio feed. Um, The candidates were just like laughing. They were like, what the hell's going on? Like everybody was really confused and it went on and on and on. Um, Let's get into, I guess the, the actual content of it though. I mean, cause (laughs) sure. I mean, my biggest takeaway and especially the second night, like the second night was like this on steroids, but every single candidate seemed to be bending over backwards to be the most progressive person on stage. Now, if you look back at the debates two and a half years ago or whatever, during the 2016 race, Bernie Sanders stood out from the crowd leaps and bounds beyond any other Democratic candidate. The way that he was speaking about income inequality, Medicare for all, taxing the billionaire class, All of those things were, obviously they weren't invented by Bernie Sanders. They were absolutely popularized by him and his campaign. And the momentum and energy that his campaign got during um, the 2016 race is uh, very exciting for these candidates to siphon off of, to try to basically be Bernie light um, and to siphon the votes away from him. It's very, very clear what's going on. They're clearly trying to split all of these delegates and split the votes away from Bernie. We know that Bernie poses the ultimate threat to the establishment. He's been saying these things for 30 years. He's been fighting for workers' rights for 30 years. No, he's not a radical socialist. He's a social Democrat. He wants workers to get a seat at the table and to have a fair share. But that even that is completely off the table for the people who rule this country. Like They don't want FDR-style policies. They don't want people to have Medicare for all, even though other, every other country has it. So that was the biggest takeaway for me, was how every candidate seemed to be Bernie light. Every single candidate talked about income inequality, talked about taxing the billionaires, talked about Medicare for all, student debt, um, you know, just issues that you would never hear be talked about before Bernie's campaign. He's the genuine voice here. But it was like so confusing because everyone just was talking like Bernie. No, it was really interesting. I mean, Elizabeth Warren um, seemed to sort of have in the first debate, that didn't seem to be so much of a of a thing going on, except Elizabeth Warren was clearly sort of there to be like the standout Bernie like candidate of that debate. Mm -hmm. But in the second one, you're right. It was mostly it did seem like all these people vying over 
that, like trying to outdo Bernie from the left, even that guy went after Bernie for the gun control thing, saying like, why won't you buy mm-hmm. back the guns? Like, why won't you do like a buyback? <laughs> do you remember that right. part? Why don't you want to buy back the guns? Yeah. Wow. Um, so like they were, it was, it was very interesting in that regard. And the media was trying to like seemingly bait certain candidates into taking embarrassingly too far left positions on things, like asking them if they would treat, you know, if they think illegal immigrants should get healthcare, free healthcare, or if they think that, um, it should be illegal to cross the border without like doing any paperwork or trying to like go through the immigration process and then waiting for like a show of hands. So there were these moments where it seemed like the media was, or like the moderators were trying to bait the candidates into saying things that were like too far left. And I thought Which that was Which is weird because they don't talk about these issues in that lens at all when they're just like doing their shows. You know what I mean? Chuck Todd, Rachel Maddow, none of these people talk like leftists even frame things in this ideological lens in the way that they were trying to set up the debates. Like, you know, it was just really strange to me. What was weirdest also was every single candidate almost seemed to be like more progressive than even Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. It was like, it just was a complete inaccurate representation of what the Democratic Party is beyond obviously making Bernie lose. And of course, that's going to mean Trump wins again. Other than that motivation, I felt like it was almost like some trick to the American public to be like, look, like this is the real Democratic Party. We're all we're all on the left. Like we're all, you know, socialist light. And we all love Bernie's policies. But like we're practical. And we know from experience that like none of these people were genuine. They're all fucking bullshitters. Um, Kamala Harris is the person who is a cop who is basically just Obama, who has been a prosecutor criminalizing minority groups her entire career, you know, as the top cop AG of California. So it is just really weird that like she was the standout star of the second debate as like this progressive darling, um, because we know that it's completely a ruse. We've already seen her policies in play. I mean, at least with Obama, we can pretend like we didn't know what he was going to do, you know? And even Obama, he was like a constitutional lawyer. He wasn't just like a police officer running a state and criminalizing all these people for either truancy or um, drugs or whatever. We know what her record is. That's the thing. So it's just really curious to see her and hear her take on this mantle because I just feel like this is completely concocted and engineered. Again, like Kamala just adopted the most extreme rhetoric. I was like, since when are you this radical lefty, Kamala? Well, I wonder what it was, though, because I can't imagine that this is like a coordinated conspiracy with all the other can- these top tier candidates no. to like knock Bernie out. So like, what? how did it happen? It's Bernie's the most popular person in the country, the most popular candidate in the country. Joe Biden's polling with old people. They know that Bernie has captured the youth and the minority vote. So, of course, they're going to target his messaging and adopt his messaging. That's literally what this is. Like, I'm sure that there wasn't a coordinated conspiracy. I mean, I'm sure the DNC loves that they're doing this because it's confusing everyone. But they are doing it because that's the strategy. Like, that's what's going to work. That's what's going to get you votes is talking in populist terms, appealing to poor people. But don't you think on some level, like, the thing that confuses me about it is, doesn't this threaten sort of like the DNC's whole like operation? Because like 
this, like you just said, like this makes this, all these candidates seem like they have all these politics that are way more to the left than like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. You're thinking that there's going to be some accountability like after they win. Oh yeah. You're like they're actually going to follow through on them. So you think that the DNC is just holding out that these, that these are just, this is all fluff. You mean kind of like Obama? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've already proven themselves in a corporate sense. Like they know that they're good to go. They know that they're not going to really make waves. They know that they're not going to undermine anything significant or make drastic changes. Like Kamala's been a loyal servant. Elizabeth Warren's been a loyal servant. Um, So I think that it's really clear what's happening. They, they know that they're just going to say what they need to say to get the votes. And they approve of that. I mean, we saw that third way organization that's bankrolled by wall street come out and say anyone but Bernie. We will accept anyone but Bernie, even Elizabeth Warren, because she's more palatable and she's more likely to, you know, not make as many drastic changes that will rock the boat. It makes sense. I mean, because obviously there was something weird going on even when Obama, you know, won most of the votes during the primaries. Like Hillary should have already conceded and then they had to have that weird behind the scenes, like backroom meeting with them to hash it out it was almost like the old the old guard at the dnc was meeting like this new guard and they were sort of hashing out what to do about it like okay maybe and it almost seems like that you know there had to have been some deal made where it's like you're not really gonna follow through on these policies right like like you're just saying this like there had to be some kind of understanding i feel like but yeah i think ultimately um this is what's gonna do it's gonna split the vote all these people will dilute the message and make it seem like they're all similar to Bernie on some level. Um, it's it's strange. Very strange. But it may also make sense because Bernie is pulling very high. Yeah, it's so fascinating, though, how much things have shifted. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Let's talk about the first debate. So Beto O'Rourke, I'm just going to call him Robert O'Rourke <laughs> because he's not Spanish. He's not Latino. He is a white guy named Robert. The reason that he calls himself Beto is to get Latino votes. Um, I was under the impression that he actually spoke Spanish well, and it could even be mistaken for like a Spaniard. Everyone was praising his abilities to speak Spanish and saying he was fluent. I mean, he didn't seem fluent to me. Wait, who was praising? Right out of the fucking gates, he's speaking Spanish. Wait, people were actually, before this happened, like people had said that he was like a really good Spanish speaker? Yes. That's crazy. They're like, say what you will about Beto, but damn, he can speak Spanish. And I was like, wow, really? I mean, Tim Kaine did a better job in that stupid ass like vice presidential debate Spanish moment that he had. This yeah. was terrible, dude. It was so bad, and he looked like a deer in headlights while he was doing it. Like it was a combination of like stage fright, freak out, and then just him going on for way too long. Like the Spanish wasn't ten seconds; it went on for seemingly forty-five seconds. It was a long time. It was very strange, right. and then. But it was like something that they planned to do beforehand. It wasn't like a spontaneous. Their debate coaches or whoever surrounding them was like, you need to learn 45 seconds of Spanish to just like blurt out with during the debate because that's going to make you look really tapped into the Hispanic community or something. Like it's it's absolutely yeah. nuts because it just yeah, made him look like a meme- psycho because he didn't couldn't speak Spanish. He couldn't speak Spanish and he also did it for way, way too long. 
I want to say it was the first answer he gave, but that would almost be too hilarious. I mean, I honestly think it might have been his first answer. It was like more than half of it was just in Spanish. Yeah. And it wasn't even about like Latinos or anything. That's That was the funniest part. It was just like about something random. Well, um, let's go back to the, the just the way the debate opened, like the, yeah. the tone of it, because it was like, OK, Elizabeth Warren's in the very middle. You know, it's like they put mm-hmm. the people pulling the highest in the middle. Oh, in the intro, they said climate change was going to be one of the main topics discussed. Yeah, which it wasn't at all. Not in the first night at all. It was not at all. Yeah. So they like mis mischaracterized what subjects were going to be discussed. But that's funny because in the last election, the last primaries, the subject was like never brought up. I think Adam um, Johnson on Twitter did a poll or he found a poll showing how like little climate change was brought up in the last debates. Um, but Liz, Liz Warren, uh, was, had the first question, total softball question. And if it was the, if it, the same question had been asked of Bernie Sanders, it would have been asked in a much more adversarial manner because it was basically like a nice, polite softball lob version of how are you going to pay for all this free shit? Like right. type of thing that people do to Bernie Sanders. And it seemed like totally designed for Warren to just answer like perfectly. So I was like, okay, obviously out of the gates, this is going to be, is Liz Warren's going to talk for most of the time. Um, they're not going to treat her adversarially at all, which they didn't. Um, so that sort of set the tone to me for the rest of the debate. Right. Right. I mean, I thought she played it really, really safe because she didn't interrupt anyone. She waited until she was called on. So she didn't look rude and like screaming True. like they said yeah. Bernie did the next day. And I was actually surprised that they didn't ask her more questions during the second half because she clearly came out of the first half as the winner. Um, all the questions directed at her were to make her look good. She You're did about a the good first half job the first relatively. Debate? Yeah, she did a relatively good job answering them. So I was like, damn. Um, and then, of course, Tulsi Gabbard's people on Twitter kind of jumped the gun and said, you know, the debate was going to be orchestrated to make her look good and then unfortunately the second half of the debate she barely said anything so it just was like a little bit jumping the gun on that oh yeah i mean i jumped the gun on it too yeah like i thought it was going to be the warren show and it kind of became i think technically speaking let me see if i can pull up the thing here i think technically speaking um booker had the most words spoken so if you actually rank all the candidates what yeah he kept interrupting people. That's the only reason. Oh, yeah. I didn't. I see. I didn't even see. That's how slick he is. I feel like, even though he's really like freakish and he looks weird, and some of his mannerisms are weird, I feel like he, like, managed to come off the smoothest in that particular debate as far as like poli- politician speak. Um, what did you think? Did you right. think or not? I mean, he freaks me out so much. He looks like (laughs) Frankenstein to me. And his voice really freaks me out. Um, I don't trust him at all. He just said a whole bunch of bullshit during the debate. But yeah, Yeah. like he did definitely come out the clear winner because he was slick, loud, and interrupted people slyly enough to make it seem like it was all warranted. And because he would just like speak with this booming voice and just like kind of dominated the discussion. Whereas the next night it seemed like there were multiple people who took a cue from him the night before. And they were like, okay, I need to do what Cory Booker did because they saw the praise he got. Like people afterward were like, yeah, it was a little bit annoying that he kept interrupting people, but like, damn, was he good. 
here's here's how many words are spoken in order of um you know most to least. Joe Biden with the most words spoken, Cory Booker ranking second, Kamala Harris third, Pete Buttigieg fourth, Beto O'Rourke fifth, Bernie Sanders sixth. Really? Yeah. And w- Elizabeth Warren seventh. So in some ways, Elizabeth Warren is getting slightly sidelined here, which is kind of surprising. Um, I didn't I didn't expect that to happen because just like Tulsi's campaign people, when I was watching the first half of the debate, I was like, oh, damn, they're totally in the bag for Warren. This seems so obvious. Right. And then it didn't really shape out that way um, going going through. And also, I was surprised by how non-powerful her performance was. Seemed like she didn't really get in the groove until maybe like 40 minutes in to the first debate where it seemed like she was kind of on fire a little bit. For the first like 30 minutes, I felt like she was kind of on autopilot. She didn't seem very strong. She seemed kind of nervous to me. She didn't stumble, but she just didn't. She seemed canned. Not very like authentic, coming off as authentic and present to me. What's interesting is I wrote notes for every single candidate through two nights and Elizabeth Warren, I had actually like nothing to say about other, I mean like that, that's, that's how unmemorable she was. No, I think you know that totally I mean? makes sense. Let me see if I even have any notes. I'm looking through mine. The only thing I wrote down was her gun answer was a nothing burger. And I don't even remember what that was. <laughs> yeah. Which, which was it a, which gun question was it? I wonder. Oh, because her, it was just like, what would you do about school shootings or something? And she just said, we need to uh, treat it like a public health emergency and like study the issue more. And it's just like, okay. I mean, other than just her getting tons more time, I I can't really remember much about her. I, I just remember that the opening question was for her. And then within like the first five questions, it was like two of them were for Warren, three of them were for other people, and then they immediately went back to Warren, like on like question six or something. And I was just right. like, what the hell? This is, just, this is just too obvious that they're favoring her or just favoring the front runners. And, and then I was just like, but this ha- seems to happen every debate. This is not surprising. I mean, they do this with every front runner. Um, it just seems so unfair to do it that way, though. Right, and it's so ridiculous that even people like John Delaney are in there. Um, you know, I, there's just one thing to say about him. He's just like he was booed off stage at the DNC at some DNC event, I think, in California, because he's just a Republican. I mean, he he got up there and he was like, "We don't want Medicare for all. Like, socialism's bad. Like, we can't call ourselves that. And like, we can't just give everyone health care." And everyone's just like, "Boo!" They're like, "Why are you here?" Seriously, why are you here? And he just kept talking about how he's a business owner and he understands business. Um, and so Sweet. he was just a, a total joke. It's like, who? how did you get 60,000 unique donations to get you up here? How? Yeah, that whole thing is really strange. Yeah, how did some of those people get in, into the um, yeah that like category where you have to reach the minimum 60,000 unique donations? That's, that's strange. Some of those people, like Tim Ryan... Um, those, some of those random people don't even remember the, their names. Like that, that's odd. Something yeah, he, he looked like a that. huge thumb. That's what I kept writing down. I just said he's a disgusting thumb. Um, just to give people a sense of who this guy is, he said that terrorists at Guantanamo get better health care than Americans. That's what he said at the debate. Um, oh, and he cool. basically just said we need to be constantly engaged in foreign policy 
And um, that's all I wrote down about him. So he's just a horrible, horrible person. Um, I, one thing I did notice about Warren, one of the only things I actually mentioned about her performance is when they did that raise of hands part for who would be here for abolishing private insurance. Yeah. She took a few seconds to raise her hand. Like she hesitated. I noticed it was like, it was like unplanned. She probably didn't know what her position was actually on that yet. So right. I find that interesting is that two of the other candidates, I think maybe beat, not Beto, but um, Cory Booker and one other, Bill de Blasio, I think. Bill de Blasio raised his hand. Yeah. So like two other ones raised their hand and she hesitated for like a surprisingly long amount of time. I thought it was just Bill de Blasio and her, to be honest. I don't think Cory Booker raised oh, his hand. Oh, maybe you're right. You might be right. Yeah. You know, he kept talking about this low-income neighborhood that he lives in in Newark, I guess, just so he can give answers about how he lives in a low-income neighborhood and that he is around areas where people get killed. And he, like, actually, like, looked at the other people on stage and he was like, no one else on stage knows um, what it's like to live in an area where people get killed by gun violence. I didn't understand that. It's like, why are you living in, like, a poor neighborhood just so you can, like, have cred at the debate? It just seemed very, very fake and canned. Yeah, that, that is very. Of course, I don't. I actually <laughs> don't remember that particular moment. But that's fucking phony as fuck. He's acting like he lives basically in the ghetto where like the f- shootings and gang violence and stuff takes place. What is he trying to say? Yeah, or just and that another it's a thing low that he did. Area. Another thing that he did um, was raise his hand. He was the only one to raise his hand when they asked if he wouldn't like who wouldn't sign back on to the nuclear deal. He raised his hand just so he could be like, I would get a better deal, like just to steal more time. Oh my God. And they were like, okay, so you wouldn't. So like, this was just a trick answer just so you can like steal more time then. Oh, great. Yeah. And he did a really good job of that because I actually didn't notice that he was interrupting or or like hogging time. I noticed more when other people would jarringly interrupt and talk over other people, but not, but you know, he was slick enough where it kind of like went by my radar. I would just like, yeah. oh wow, he's coming out. I just kept thinking I'm more impressed by his performance than I expected to be. Like I thought he was going to do way worse. I thought Beto was yeah. going to do like way better. So I was shocked at how Beto. bad he was. He was insanely bad. He was the worst. I mean, he was like, Dude, to me, Beto's the biggest the disappointment probably. What what did you even remember Beto saying? Because I actually don't remember anything from him other than he said he he conjured some boring ass painting when he asked like how would he prosecute Trump or something. He was like, Well, I'm remember this painting in the Capitol. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Blah blah blah. John Adams and signing the da 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 da. It's like, what are you talking that about? That was amazing. Dude? And he wouldn't he wouldn't answer. He did basically refused to answer like every question asked to him even the 70 or like the marginal tax rate or something he refused to like answer the question and they had to keep asking it to him and even chris matthews um like brought it up again like after the debate like saying like you didn't answer this during the debate like why can you answer it now (laughs) um so he kept doing that i noticed that but i just was surprised at how non-slick he seemed and whatever energy he had that was like giving him all this hip media coverage for a while did not carry over to the debate at all. Like, I don't know what people were talking about because I just didn't pay. I wasn't like plugged into all the, like the media hype about him from like six months ago or five months ago. I just wasn't paying attention. Um, So to see him like fresh, uh, you know, just without barely any context, it's like, Oh my God, this is him. Like, fuck, he's so bad. Like, wow. Right. I was just kind of astonished. 
Yeah, like at least Buttigieg held his own. Oh, like he, was, Beto, he was. I I was slicker. stunned by how poor Beto's performance was. I mean, Robert. Let's just call him Robert. Yeah. Um, I was stunned by how awful Robert's performance was, and just nothing resonated with me. I couldn't even remember anything that he said, other than he was just stammering his way through, um, semi speaking Spanish, like in and out. Um, and it's like you said. I mean, it seemed like he was a deer in headlights. Like he yeah, didn't the- seem confident. What happened all these he had on his on face tables, while dude? he was speaking yeah, Spanish? Was in, it just looked creepy. It was so unmemorable. I hope that he just drops out. I mean, has he even won a national office? I don't think so. Ever? A lot of these people are like very underqualified for like running for political office. I mean, Maureen Williamson is like an author. Right. You know, I mean, so how did how did she get 60,000 unique donations? I mean, that's... That's wacky. That's that a lot of these people reach that threshold. That I just, I'm still confused how that's even possible. Right, and then so let's get this guy Tim Ryan out of the way. He looks like a box. His whole head literally is the shape of a box. Um, he has to drop out. He was by far the worst flattest. candidate. I mean, he, huh? Flattest. I mean, he had the flattest affect. Flattest His facial expressions yeah. were not. Like it's not engaging. Like he just—he's not the kind of person that um, has a friendly vibe or a warm vibe. He just put off this weird coldness. He said he—he um, he basically said like we need to mourn this this you know 130 million dollar drone. He was like that's 130 million dollars. It's like okay, dude, why are we flying 130? First of all, why are we making 130 million dollar drones? That's the first fucking question when we don't have health care. Not only should we care about this drone that was downed, but also that the Taliban... We need to stay in Afghanistan forever, Robbie. We really need to keep staying in Afghanistan because the Taliban's going to get stronger. And the Taliban's who attacked us on 9-11. Oh, did he actually say the Taliban attacked us on 9-11? Or did he yes. just say that's who attacked yes. us on 9-11? Yeah, I feel like he... I, I couldn't tell if he actually meant that that's why the Taliban... Or that the Taliban attacked us on 9-11. But yeah, he no, sounded he like did. a total dumbass. He did. And and Tulsi Gabbard, I think, actually interjected there and said something that a lot of people gave her a lot of credit for and thought was like pure gold, where she's like, the Taliban's on who attacked us on 9-11 is Al-Qaeda, and that's why I served in the military to like, to, you know, stop Al-Qaeda, but we can't stay there forever, you know, to blah, blah, blah. But in fact, she actually enlisted in and fought in Iraq. So like the, the idea that she was ever fighting or that she thought that she was going to listen to the military to fight al-qaeda i think at the point that she actually enlisted doesn't really line up with what she's saying as rhetoric now and a few people pointed this out sam husseini did uh, jeffrey st Clair from counterpunch and i think that they're completely picking up on something that she's kind of rewriting her own narrative about why she signed up for the military what she thought back then and she's making it seem like she signed up for the military as like retaliation for 9-11 against Al-Qaeda. But, you know, that would make more sense if she did it like immediately after 9-11 or something, but she didn't. She did it while she, the Iraq war was already in full swing. So that's, that's interesting. That's super bizarre. It just doesn't line I mean, up with the, with the basic facts of what, what she did. So, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying what she said was terrible. It's just like, it just doesn't feel genuine to me what she's saying. Well, the thing about Tulsi is like, yeah, it was great that she said, let's bring the troops home from Afghanistan. But 
Um, it was just really weird that every single question started with as a soldier, as a military, and not even a veteran. Let's remember she is an active duty officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just kept saying, my military experience. My, I mean, even when they were asked about LGBTQ equality, which A, it was a really shitty attack I question gotcha. just to her, but her answer was terrible. I mean, what is the point of bringing up LGBTQ military people that you're going to die for them and they die for you? Like, bring us back to reality, Tulsi. What was the defining moment that made you realize that gay people should have rights? Like, I'm not I I didn't hear that from her. And just conjuring military experience to defend that you would die for LGBTQ soldiers like that didn't make sense to me. And like, I just started cringing every time she, she said anything. It was just my military experience, my military experience. I mean, as someone who is painted as the anti-war candidate, denounce the U.S. military, quit the U.S. military. Well, she can't. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's within a certain limitation. That's what I was trying to say on the Nico House debate that I did. And for people who aren't aware of that, I did a debate with Nico House on his program about Tulsi Gabbard's anti-war credentials and how strong those are. And one of the things I brought up is how strongly anti-military can she be if she's still actively serving? We don't even know like what limit, like technical limitations are for that. There actually are probably rules written down saying how far she's allowed to go in criticizing them. Like if you're actively serving, there are certain things you cannot say. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't, and I don't have like the details in front of me, but I would be willing to bet that that's the case. So I, it's like, even just that's a problem. And we need to explore that. Um, and you're right. It just right, seemed like just, total pandering to like this weird hawkish wing of the Democratic Party. Or maybe she wanted to make it seem like she was more credible on foreign policy by making constantly referring to her military service because none of these other people had it. But it just came off as very pandering and to me unnecessary. I, I Yeah, I was not pleased at all. With her performance. And wouldn't you go further? Like, you're only given a minute and a half or something, and, like, to not actually get your whole time? Like, go off, girl. Like, like let's go. Let's yeah. talk about war. I mean, the, the best thing that she said by far was just, like, the neocons are trying to get us into war with Iran. And she said very unequivocally, she was like, no war with Iran. Yeah. And I did appreciate that very yeah. much. Same. It was but, about... But it was just... I don't know. It was about as strong as, and what we'll talk about in a little bit, as Bernie's statements on Iran. I thought it was equally yeah. as strong as his foreign policy statements. And let's just admit, even though, you know, I have a lot of problems with Bernie and I have a lot of problems with Tulsi, um, but I do concede and will fully acknowledge that they were handicapped by bias against both of them by MSNBC. Rachel Maddow specifically has like personal hatred seemingly for Bernie and Tulsi Gabbard. It's been evident right. on her own program. We already know that. So Bernie Sanders, you know, was asked like a like an attack question. Tulsi Gabbard was about her LGBT record. Um, but there was something else, Abby, and I don't know if you got a chance to see this. I sent sent it to you before we started recording. Uh, of apparently MSNBC, someone in MSNBC or someone who was broad rebroadcasting the MSNBC feed to other networks digitally inserted and this is going to sound completely insane oh, but it's the, real yeah a pimple on her face something that looked like a pimple or like a, a a little sore blemish on her chin i don't remember seeing it in real time during the b- debate but i have seen many clips come out since tmz actually reported this 
and they had like multiple clips to back it up. You know, TMZ is a tabloid, so I don't know how trustworthy they are. But the the video footage itself needs to be watched because it's very interesting. Uh, because what it looks like, Abby, is some kind of Snapchat filter or deep fake filter that actually looks really high quality enough to place a fake blemish or pimple on your face, like on a live video feed. And it's blatantly not a real pimple because there's at a certain point in the video where it just disappears. It vanishes. But are you sure that it wasn't just someone doctoring the footage and then releasing it as if it was real? Or well, is, that, TMZ, is that being taken directly from... I yeah. don't... I mean, it could... You're right. That's a possibility. But TMZ reported this like within like an hour of the debate happening. It was it was they sort of all over the place. That she had a pimple, or that it was like removed. I'm confused. No, that it was a f- that it was some kind of glitch thing that somehow on the li- on the live debate broadcast, um, TMZ was reporting that someone inserted a pimple onto her face and then it disappeared. Wow. Yeah, it's. I mean, have you? Did you actually watch the clip yourself? Yeah, I did. I okay. didn't know what I was looking at though. Well, I mean. Basically, whatever it is that we're looking at, we don't know exactly 100% for sure if this live went on on MSNBC. It seems like it did. But whatever it is, it just it just shows how high quality and how sophisticated sort of this deep fake, whatever the Snapchat filters algorithms are based on, because it looks photorealistic. It looks actually like she has a real pimple. It moves with her chin. There's like light reflecting off of it. I mean, it looks totally realistic. So... I mean, this is actually kind of a warning to the future of like how realistic these deep fakes are and like what you can do with them on on video. I mean, I, I don't know how it can insane. be used in the future, but if you wanted to make someone look kind of unattractive during a debate, you could put like pimples on their face and it would look completely right. realistic. So it's just right. something to think about. I mean, how dangerous this technology is getting. It's so scary. Like now you can make anyone's photo move and say whatever they want and you know what is that going to do to like government propaganda in the future to justify whatever wars drone strikes i mean there's so many things that can happen yeah she also didn't raise her hand about abolishing private insurance um and she you know she did good about the iran nuclear deal but not great because she also kind of recited what she said probably when she argued against it but ended up voting for it which is like she wants a stronger deal. It's like, what does that mean, stronger? Does that mean more draconian measures against Iran? Like, that's not good. Well, then that's a very poor answer. I mean, saying no war with Iran is good, but we do have to remember that she actually did appear, and I don't know if you want to go into this as a separate part of the discussion, their views on Israel. Um, Do you want to wait to talk about that? Yeah, let's wait to talk about all the Israel stuff. Yeah, I mean, because there's there's a lot of things to suggest that Tulsi actually did take a right-wing position on not just Iran, but like radical Islamic terrorism um, that, you know, sort of contradict with even like some of the more neoliberal Democrats like Liz Warren. I mean, you know, as far as I know, actually Liz Warren has like stronger views on that than Tulsi did at a certain point. Maybe Maybe Tulsi has better views now than Warren does now. But at a certain point, it seemed like Tulsi was actually to the right of other generic neoliberal Democrats on that particular issue when Obama was It just was seems like if office. this is if all of this energy is to get these people in the debates to like really push an anti-war message, which is what Tulsi's whole campaign has been about. Get me in the debates, get me in the debates so I can like yeah. push anti-war. What what about the military budget? You know what I mean? Like 
like this whole Medicare for all thing. They're like, how are we going to pay for it? It's like cut the military budget in half. Like, I don't understand what, where is that? No one talked about that. How much we're spending on the military. The Bernie Sanders did around the world again. Second, yeah, you're right. I'm really happy that she said what she did about Iran, but it was just like, I expected more and I expected more passion. I was underwhelmed, let's just say, about Tulsi's whole performance. I, I mean, I was underwhelmed not just by her performance, but I think it also just revealed the weakness and the non-thoroughness of some of her platforms and me- even just messaging. Because as you said, that seems like a slam dunk. Someone like Tulsi, who already sort of appeals to some of like Trump's populist base in some weird way, you would think she could say, you know, stop spending all this money on the military. Let's use that money right. here. Instead of just saying, stop spending money on the regime change wars. Because it's like... Right. It, but by her definition, regime change wars haven't happened since maybe Libya, technically speaking. Right. And Libya was a joint effort by like NATO and several other countries. And I don't know how much it actually cost us to bomb Libya. So like, right. I don't know, like that argument just in and of itself, just by itself in a vacuum just seems kind of weak. It's not that strong. So you would have to make a bigger, broader argument about military spending, these defense contractors, all the all the um, you know the bases that are open. That's one thing that I don't think she'll ever touch: the military presence around the world. That's something I actually haven't right. heard her talk about. Um, right. Exactly. I've heard her say exactly. things like, "If we're sending troops on the ground, even if like patrol missions are like sending them to the Middle East, we have to you know make their mission clear." So she's like criticized like the policy for sending troops in. But just like sending, like having this much troops around the world and this many bases around the world, I feel like that needs to be the overall argument to really knock this over the fence. Like you can't just say the regime change wars need to end. You know, Michael Tracy was also, was actually arguing with me after the Nico House debate, saying that my fa- premise was faulty that um, the war on terror is even a paradigm anymore. Because now it's like everybody just wants the regime change wars to stop. And it's like, well, I'd actually argue that the idea of regime change wars is actually the older paradigm. Like now we're just sort of in this murky convoluted area of like where it's like an endless sort of war on terror, but kind of regime change thing at the same time. It's not clear what it is. Like yeah, in it's Syria like is a really good example. Groups, funding the fighters in Syria, funding yeah. the civil society organizations, and at the same time, drone striking everywhere yeah, under so- the AUMF. I would actually argue the inverse, that Tulsi's latching onto this concept of we need to stop the regime change wars to build up and pay for our country here is like a really sort of almost like old school, myopic, non-nuanced paradigm that is actually rhetorically, I don't think, very particularly strong. It might only be strong to like push things over to like the Trump side of like the spectrum, like political spectrum. Like that's simplistic enough without mentioning certain things that would trigger their radar that it's like a lib talking point that it's like, oh, that's something I can get on board with. Like, I want to make our country great again and stop the regime change wars. Like there are probably some right wingers and Trump supporters who want who believe in that. But it's like, again, it's an unsophisticated, non fully fleshed out, like like um, sort of foundation to build your rhetoric on, I think. And I, I think that shows just, during her debate. Totally did. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy how not one person, as progressive as they all seemed, like would really, they didn't take risks when it came to anything about U.S. foreign policy. And 
They didn't go out on a limb whatsoever, and they all know that they're like running to lose. It's well, like they went out on a limb and a, big and to the right, Abby, just like the media has been doing. They they went out on a limb and actually Beta O'Rourke mentioned Russia invading our democracy three times. He actually said they're invading our democracy. Nobody even asked him about Putin. Um, Andrew Yang came out and said Russia's laughing their asses off for hacking into our democracy. Um, uh, Cory Booker, like you said, said he would want a better deal. He raised his hand and said the Iranian deal wasn't good enough. But what are these people doing? And even one of them said that Trump was uh, like, you know, giving Kim Jong-un like a back rub or something and treating dictators like, um, like, I think it was actually Kamala Harris, maybe. Yeah, Kamala Harris. They're all attacking Trump from the right on foreign policy. Bill de Blasio said Russia is the biggest threat to our country. Um, Julian Castro actually said China was one of the biggest threats. I mean, he's uh, like, it was just really insane because he was the only one during the first debate night that actually said it shouldn't be like a criminal offense to cross the border and shit. And it's like, but yet you're fear mongering about another country as the existential threat to American citizens. Yeah. How is wrong with you? No, that's think about how nutty that is for a second that it's okay now for a democratic candidate to come out that far with a position, which is like, right. Which is like egregiously like goes against even like the, the very, like, I don't even think I was, uh, Ocasio-Cortez would say that that's like, she would support that. Like, that would be too risky for someone even like her. So to say, for him to say that, but then to like come out and say like China needs to be dealt with, it just goes to show how bizarre the reality is that we live in now that like, it's still, we're so far away from having like a actual pacifist anti-war, you know, diplomacy position in politics um, that now it's okay to come out and say during a debate that, um, you know, someone should be able to cross the border with no penalties. Like, no, it's, the, it's the crazy. It's like just the, the it's the ultimate pendulum swing from all of Trump's reactionary authoritarian policies on immigration. But then when it comes to foreign policy, it's like all militarism from marching from the right. And it's all just bolstering up the most false paradigms that are propped up by the corporate media as well. Um, the only person who did not do that was Tulsi Gabbard and Bernie Sanders. Amy Klobuchar said Iran is the biggest threat. I mean, she's literally no oh, different she was than total Trump. Neocon. She's like Hillary Clinton light. I mean, she maybe like not a even total light. Neocon, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe like crazier than Hillary Clinton. I don't know much about her. She was awful. She even said, she referenced Trump to like how she's electable in Trump districts. It's like, who are you appealing to? Yeah, Klobuchar seemed like she, I, I don't know what thing she was riding on. I mean, the only time I even heard her name really recently was like during the um, the Kavanaugh hearings and her questioning Tim Kavanaugh. Like that's that's really all I remember her from. I think Russiagate too, she gained some notoriety for being really hard on Trump. I mean, all of these Democrats who are running against Trump are like pretty hardline Russiagaters. Right. So... Remember that when it comes to how they're going to go after Trump. Do you want a candidate who's going to try to shoot, like, um, you know, lob, uh, like, flaming um, grenades at Trump about Russiagate? I I don't. So I don't know. I mean, we already know Elizabeth Warren wants to impeach based on, like, the Mueller-Russiagate investigation. So I don't actually know where Bernie stands on the impeachment issue. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, Mike just texted me that Pod Save America, you know, that really generic 
Milk Toast podcast that's like huge. They're the ones who convinced Beto to run for president instead of trying to actually beat Ted Cruz because everyone was like, why don't you just run against Ted Cruz in the Senate? You know, you've you've gained all this support like you're now popular nationwide they're like why are you gonna run for president like you haven't even beat ted cruz here and he was just like you know what like you're right great job guys wow that's really interesting well that's great that a podcast that shitty and milk toast has that much influence yeah great job i mean yeah it makes me wonder what kind of Audience, I mean, this will be the last I talk about Tulsi Gabbard because we're going to move on to the second debate pretty soon. But it does make me wonder what kind of audience Tulsi Gabbard or just voters she's trying to get um, right now in her sort of framework that she speaks from. I, I'm not exactly sure, um, but it seems like she is trying to pull voters from the left and the right. And again, I will say it again, I do think that it moves us further away from a strong anti-imperialist, anti-war mindset to put, hoist someone like that up and hold them as the gold standard of what it means to be anti-war. Because even though she is saying things that I like, like ending the Cold War and the new Cold War, she even said that at the debate. She threw that in. Um, mm-hmm. I still think that she represents a form of anti-war mentality that is actually far less strong and more... Uh, subscribing to the paradigm of like the post 9-11 world than even like Ron Paul and Kucinich before her. Of course. And let's get into the second night of debates. The only other thing I wanted to say about the first night is that Jay Inslee was the only guy that I didn't mention yet. I mean, he was kind of impressive just because he kept going hard with the climate change thing. I mean, at least he just, however he got the 60,000 donations, good for him. Was he the Mike Pence? Woody Harrelson more. He looked like Mike Pence and his, he said his one, two and three top issues were climate change. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that he was talking about that hilariously, even though they said they were going to like center part of the debate around climate change. Like that was just mentioned briefly um, when they were just like one word answers about the biggest threat facing Americans. It's like, that's, you're not going to give people a chance to explain why. And so people were just like, China, Russia, Iran. And then like a couple of people said climate change. It's like, all right, I guess you're not going to ask about climate change. It's just going to be like, you know, well, the funny part about that very briefly little hands up moment you're talking about is I thought that some of the candidates had sort of like a, Oh fuck. I could have said climate change. I didn't have to say like a country when they realized Mm -hmm. that like other candidates started to say non countries. Like at first, you're right. All the candidates were like China, Russia is like the biggest threat. <laughs> and then once they, someone else like said another like broader issue like climate change, then like the rest of them tried to like make it like that too. Yeah, they're like, okay, and climate change. It's like, okay, guys. So what surprised me about that moment is you would think that these motherfuckers are just really well coached already. Right. And there's several moments where it's like, did you guys not prepare for this shit? Because like, I don't, I could have given a better answer. If I was just like running as a generic Democrat, like off the cuff. So why can't you? Surprised. Especially Joe Biden. He came off like a blithering old fool. Um, he couldn't answer anything. He kept going, excuse me, sweetheart. I swear to God, I thought he said, excuse me, sweetheart, to wow. the moderator at one point. I was just like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? I must have missed like, I, <laughs> the very intro of him because when I tuned in, I think I tuned into the second debate about 10 minutes in. I was a little late and I was actually surprised at first. I was like, oh, wow, like, but Biden is not as bad as I thought he was going to be. Really? Yeah. Like I, I didn't, I didn't get the impression that he was like doing terribly until 
we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, that weird moment where Kamala Harris went all like racist, on, like he, he's a racist basically arguing during the <laughs> debate, which was absolutely unexpected. Um, right. No, that was but, great. That was great. I mean, the, the, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I mean, yeah. You, so you thought Biden was doing terribly out of the gates. Out of the gate, old fogey. That's what I wrote down. Total old, old fogey. fogey. Everything that he said was referencing what Obama did. Um, you know, when it when it was health care, he said, okay, we just need to go back to Obamacare. We want to build on Obamacare. Um, when he was actually confronted with Obama's legacy of being the deporter in chief, like the moderator was like, you know, Obama deported 3 million people like it, during his tenure. They're like, what do you, you know, why did you raise your hand? Because he like tediously raised his hand alongside every other candidate yes. when they said, would you, you know, give undocumented people health care? And also like, would it be a civil offense if they cross the border? And he was, he would not answer the question. They asked him three times to follow up. They're like, so would it be a civil offense or would it be a criminal offense? And he was like, I, if they committed a crime and, and someone's brought up Obama's legacy of mass deportation. And he was like, he was like, how dare you compare that to Trump? He said, yeah. I'm insulted. That's not answering the question, bro. Well, Bernie and Tulsi were definitely had gotcha questions prepared for them. There was some definitely some snark exchange, especially between Rachel Maddow and Bernie Sanders. I almost think now, now that you're mentioning that, the fact that they were sort of like Chuck Todd did it twice. What you, the thing you just mentioned, and then he also mentioned something asking all the candidates to give a one word like answer or response on what would be their number one policy that they want to make sure they do while they're in office. If they only had one and they could only do one, what would it be? And the question was set up by saying Obama's, you know, did healthcare, even though he wanted to do immigration and he ended up like dropping the ball and like not being able to do anything on immigration. So when um, the question got to Biden, Biden was already like all huffy because of what, how Chuck Todd asked it. Because Chuck Todd made a little jab at Obama in his question, just like mm -hmm. what you're describing, um, calling him the deporter. And, well, he didn't call him a deporter in chief. Yeah, but yeah, said yeah, Obama yeah. deported more people than like, you know, he, he, he listed the amount of people that Obama deported as a jab to the Obama administration. Right. So it was interesting to me to see them because we've, we've seen the media already totally favoring Biden. They've been giving him way more air, right, like right. time proven than any other candidate, like by far, disproportionately far. So to see Chuck Todd and MSNBC poking holes in the Obama administration's legacy, knowing it would like rile Biden up, was unexpected. I did not think that he would have to face any, even remote scrutiny like that. Because that is sort of like, you know, it's inextricably tied to his own record. That is sort of what he's running on, is Obama's legacy. Right. So that. I mean, what do you think about that, that MSNBC was willing to like kind of try to knock him, you know, kind of make him falter a little bit with that? That's that's unusual. I, I mean, I guess to me, it was not something I would have expected them to do. Right. I mean, I was I was blown away by the questioning for Biden, um, yeah. the Iraq war charge. I mean, saying, you know, you were wrong about that. And he and he didn't even apologize for it. See, of course, I missed that apologizes. part. Give us an overview of what happened there. I I did not tune in during that part. Yeah, so Chuck Todd basically just said, you know, you voted for the Iraq war. And no he just shit. said, I had the informed consent of the American people. That's what Biden's answer was. That is very Can interesting that, that Chuck Todd would have bought that up against him. Yeah, I mean, we can get into the Kamala Harris thing because it goes hand in hand. Um, Kamala seemed to have this entire staged 
thing. And I'll say stage because it was already ready to be rolled out. Like as she said, that little girl was me. She was talking about busing and Biden's terrible record on segregation and integration of black Americans in schools and how he actually advocated against busing and against forced integration. Um, And he defended that actually on the debate stage. He was like, yeah, he's like, I stand by thinking that cities should have decided. And she was just like, but the government, you need to step in as the federal government. But take us back for a second before that interchange. Did did they ask him a question? Did the debate moderators ask him a question about that busing thing? Or working, no, were they no, no, like, no, no, working no. with segregationists? How did it come up? No, Kamala brought up the segregationist thing. I, it was not directed at Biden. She's okay. the one who brought it up. She wow, said okay. something about how he praised segregationists. And she was like, I know you're not racist, but... And wow. then brought up the segregationist thing. And then Biden was just like, can I respond? Can I respond? And then he responded. And then she responded saying the busing thing. After she said that, which was an epic rant and made Joe Biden look terrible... And he is racist. And, you know, when when it came out that he was praising the segregationists and said they never called me boy, it's like, yeah, because you're not black, you fucking idiot. And then Cory Booker was like, he needs to apologize. And he was like, no, Cory Booker needs to apologize to me. It's just like, good God, how tone deaf are you? Whoa. But so Kamala Harris made him look absolutely terrible. You know, she said like there were there was a little black girl who was on the bus and wow. second generation to do this and she's like and that little girl was me. Holy and shit. And like at dude. the time it was so intense. It was so good and that is all the media talked about for the next 2 hours. Every single panel, Whoa. every single person was giving her props. They were all saying that she was the clear winner. She made Joe Biden look terrible and then right after she did it, during the debate while the debate was still going on, Mike saw on Instagram that her campaign released a T-shirt that said that little girl was me with the same photo of her. And I was like, wait, all of this has been planned. Dude, Obama, I mean, Biden got, there was like a surprise attack on Biden. How did he not see that coming? I mean, the media has even been like building this like up about him recently. Right. And but they haven't really been like taking the side that it was wrong. They've just been bringing up the controversy behind it and like having mm-hmm, debates mm-hmm. about it. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, like I I wonder if maybe there is sort of already sort of a consensus within the DNC that Biden needs to go down. He's gonna like ruin right. this for everybody. Right, and they He's didn't want to like upset him too much before oh, the man. debates because they didn't want like the backlash. But it really seemed like there was a clear shift in all the media people. Like Kamala's the person. They were just being super openly hardcore against Biden. They were just like, yeah, they're like, actually, Biden's position on busing is like even worse than she said. They said nothing about Bernie. It was so fascinating because Bernie had another like very solid moments where he really crushed it. Not a fucking word about him. And and in fact, at the end of the hour um, debate, like the hour post debate analysis on MSNBC, at the very end of it, some woman who used to be like Bush's communication like person, she's like a Bush administration official basically, and she was sitting there with Brian Williams, and she was like, you know, I just realized that we like actually didn't talk about Bernie. She was like, should we like say something about him? And Joy Reid was just like, well, I could just tell you as someone who lived in a household with a Bernie supporter that like Bernie's just old. He comes across as an old yelly socialist from the wow. 1950s. That's how MSNBC commented on his performance? Yes. And and, and Joanne Reid said, yeah, my the, the person in my household that was a Bernie supporter is now realizing that like Kamala's like the fresh face that needs to be pushing these ideas forward. It's like, okay, all right. 
Yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, you know, this is just on an aesthetic level, and I don't mean this to be like superficial, or you know, it's going to sound really crass, but like just on a visual level, Bernie Sanders on stage, you know, he's he doesn't look good on an aesthetic level compared to like the rest of the candidates. He's definitely like a noticeable standout as far as like mean he his posture is bad compared to a lot of the other people. He was standing in between Biden and Kamala Harris, I think, or right next to both of them. And it was very noticeable how bad his posture was, um, sort of how his resting face lo- looks kind of angry. Um, I And I wasn't, I was surprised about how he didn't even try to like moderate his like sort of crankiness in the way that he came off. Like he didn't try to like sugarcoat or make himself sound warm at all he was just like very like typical bernie like even more so like more like on fire like kind of like angry bernie mode a little bit surprised yeah he's but i mean fucking pissed that everyone's just like light versions of him but I no mean, you're I right hope, aesthetically it was bad i hope he i hope it's he improves um in the subsequent debates i don't think he did a bad job i was just that was just one takeaway for me is he just seemed like he was in a particularly not good mood um, compared to some of the other thing, times I've seen him talk. And I'm sure it's a right. really I mean, stressful and, fucking experience. I mean, he is an old right. dude. Um, Biden is used to, you know, he's old too, but he's used to this kind of shit. It's like it was his job, you know, like constantly being in front of these hot lights and stuff. Like Bernie, you know, it's probably, it's, I mean, I would imagine it's probably much more stressful experience for someone like him than it is for Joe Biden. No, and... and- and right out of the gate, they immediately attacked Bernie with the socialism thing. And he didn't do a very good job rerouting that question. And then, like, everyone bumbled around after that question to basically defend why capitalism is good. But it needs to be, like, conscious capitalism. And corporations only care about profits. But we're going to make sure they – we're going to do stuff where they're not just caring about profits. It's, it's just, like, so insane the way that it started the second night. And then you have this guy Hickenlooper. I'm just going to say one thing about him. He was like the the antidote to Bernie where all he did was denounce socialism. And every single answer that he gave was just denouncing how we can't have socialism. It's like, okay, great. Um, bye. <laughs> and then Eric Swalwell, the mannequin frozen in time, super fake looking motherfucker. Um, <laughs> all he did was kept saying that the older generation needs to pass the torch. He was like up there to be an ageist asshole. He was like, pass the torch, like interrupted everyone talking. He was like, pass the torch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pass Only the torch. The old, it's like, the old okay. Guys, though. Yeah. He did yeah, to no, Biden and uh, Bernie. Yeah. And Bernie clapped back really well. He was like, actually passing the torch to a younger generation is not going to fight climate change. He's like confronting the fossil fuel industry, Will. Square box face. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that the same guy who was, who was the guy who tried to... Um, tell Buttigieg he should pi- fire the police chief too. That was or- the best part when Buttigieg was like totally like did not know how to respond. That was hilarious. Buttigieg I was actually was like, pretty what? impressed though that Buttigieg had like the best possible po- political like politician answer for that question. He I was surprised how like so well crafted his answer was, even though he was obviously bullshitting. It was like a very smart way to like deflect it away until that guy well- retorted with that. No, he did a he did a very good job. He's been very well trained. Definitely way better than Robert's performance. But yeah, I was I was actually impressed with Buttigieg's just fake out 
of like acting like a progressive. I mean, if I didn't know that he was some little dickhead Afghanistan war veteran who, with an assault rifle in that photo being like, assault rifles belong on the streets of Afghanistan, not here. You know, that meme that yeah. became like circulated after Parkland. It's like, if I didn't know any better, I'd be like, oh, Buttigieg is interesting. If I like was not radical, I'd be like, okay, he's saying interesting things. Like he was trained well. Yeah, I was, I was very surprised at how impressive he was too as far as just like performance wise um and yeah it was it seemed totally phony to me all the things he was saying but yeah he was um he was a good uh good talker um and kamala harris i did not expect I, i agree with you i did not expect her to come off that authentic seeming even though i know her the all her backstory and i know she's phony she seemed authentic and she seemed real and it seemed convincing so that's gonna carry her over in a powerful way in the next few debates. So Bernie versus her is going to be interesting because I feel like both of them, their authenticity comes across, but for the general public, she might be more likable. And, you know, she also has the advantage of being a black woman versus like a old white guy. It's going to be more difficult for Bernie, maybe than it even was versus Hillary, because I feel like Kamala Harris has a more likable quality than Hillary. So we'll have to see how that shapes out. You know, if they're exactly. Each and other. but the part that pissed me off the most is when she's in a, you know, how could you not try to get a word in edgewise? You know how these debates work. You're up there with 10 different people and you ha- and you saw how Cory Booker was praised the night before. So, of course, everyone's trying to get their voice in. And Kamala's like, um, excuse me, everyone. Americans don't want a food fight. They want food on their table. And everyone's like, oh, shit. Cue the memes, cue the fucking t-shirt sales on Instagram. It's just bizarre. It's just totally bizarre that she said that. Um, And then she, basically every answer that she gave, yes, she seemed semi-genuine a couple times, but then she gave like two giant anecdotes that took up entire answers just about a story of a family. Oh, it is so. So yeah, I mean, by far the most amazing point was her hammering Biden on how he's a racist and, and she should be praised for that. And hopefully that knocks Biden down. But now I'm actually worried that she's going to be the darling and become the next Obama-esque candidate. It's definitely worrisome if she gains more traction in the election because I worry about her versus Bernie more than I worry about Bernie versus pretty much anyone else besides maybe Warren. So, like, I would be most concerned if it came down to Bernie versus Warren or Bernie versus Harris or Bernie versus Warren and Harris. I mean, that would that would put him in a much more challenging position than if it was him versus Joe Biden, if it was him versus Cory Booker, right. if it was him right. versus Pete Buttigieg. Um, right. but, but looking at the word count, I mean, Pete Buttigieg in the second debate, this mayor, you know, who came out of nowhere, I mean, no one heard of him like three months ago, got uh, 2,072 words out during the debate, and Bernie Sanders only got 1,676 like wow. Bernie Sanders is polling, he's still polling second, right? Right. Under Joe Biden, which I still f- I find that unbelievable. Like I could see why Trump got so caught up and like obsessed during that George Stephanopoulos interview with the weirdness of Joe Biden winning all the polls. I mean, it's just it is weird. But yeah, for him for Bernie Sanders to be ranked 6th, Bernie Sanders ranked 6th out of the entire pool of Democrats for words spoken at the debates. That just doesn't bode right. well. It's not Chuck Todd complete. actually spoke more than like half the candidates. That was the most hilarious part. Chuck fucking Todd, who just gave Trump this sycophantic, ball washing interview 
um, in the Oval Office, just like George Stephanopoulos, way less adversarial, actually. It made Chuck Todd um, look very, very disgusting and how, like, acquiescing he was being to Trump. And Trump, remember Trump called Chuck Todd a sleepy son of a bitch? Yeah. He actually called, said during a speech, that sleepy Chuck Todd, what a sleeping son of a bitch. <laughs> like... <laughs> just weird that if you interview the president, you would be like, remember that one time you called me a sleeping son of a bitch? What was that right. about? Like, yeah, what did right. you mean by that? <laughs> like, what? Right. I mean, let's talk about that. That's like a historical moment to call a reporter a sleeping son of a bitch. Everyone's talking about guns. You know, I love this. When everyone talks about guns and even Kamala had the balls to be like, we should stop importing guns. Like, do you realize that the U.S. is the largest arms exporter in the world? Oh, I'm sure she you does. Talk about that. Oh, I'm sure she does. That's why she said we should stop importing guns because it's like a nonsensical, <laughs> like, n- nonsense position. That's probably exactly <laughs> we why. Stop importing very guns. carefully like, from crafted. where? <laughs> where do well, we import guns from? <laughs> I don't know. China. <laughs> who make? Yeah, who makes guns for us? Um, Buttigieg, total fakery. You know, he spoke so much, and a lot of it was personal stories too. He was so generic. Remember how he said China is using technology to perfect its dictatorship? Yeah. One thing I noticed that there was a lack of during the debates was mention of Trump's name, too. Right. That was That's odd. Right. Why is that? What Are they going to start mentioning Trump's name in the questions? But not just the questions. The answers didn't have Trump's name in it either. It was almost like, did they all get a memo saying, we're going to not talk about Trump for like the first three debates? So like, don't worry about preparing any que- answers about him. It was, seemed like everybody was avoiding it. Well, M- Miriam Williamson did some weird appeal to Trump at the end where she was like, I know Trump is, has lobbied on fear and she's tapped into the collective consciousness of all the fear in this country. And she's like, I'm going to run out of love. It's like, okay. I don't know if that's actually going to resonate, but I mean, she did say something good. She said it was like collective kidnapping and child abuse on a collective level for these detention centers. And she briefly talked about how U.S. foreign policy like has exacerbated the immigration crisis. But the the whole harnessing love thing at the end and like... Well, I think Marine you know, Williamson definitely made a stamp on the debates, but not in the way that she was probably hoping. <laughs> when she became a meme afterwards. Andrew Yang yet da- let down the Yang gang super fucking hard. I mean, the same... I bet you the same level of like disappointment and shock that Beto O'Rourke campaign staff had right. was like the same level the yang gang like fans of andrew yang had watching that and then also right. hearing them they probably a lot of them probably cringed too when he saw, said that La- russia's laughing their asses off yeah, i mean right and they he didn't know China he was a too. russia gator they're probably just like andrew what made Why? no sense you know they weren't yeah, even and asking he didn't even anybody say Medicare about for russia all. like i i looked at his website afterward because i was trying to find their positions on israel which we will talk about the next episode i promise i have a million things to say about everyone's position on israel but we just don't have time but um i was looking for andrew yang's position and i and i was just like stunned because he believes in a lot of progressive things so like you would never know it from watching the debate Oh, I mean, yeah, but if you look into some of the progressive things that he believes, they're kind of like bait and switch because recently Dave Rubin managed to get him on his show. um, Right. And, you know, Dave Rubin's trying to get all these politicians on his show. And he got Andrew Yang to admit that his universal basic income, like giving people like $1,000 a month thing was designed to eventually erode all social welfare programs in the country. 
Oh, nice. Great. That the, that you, weren't, you won't be able to convince people to eliminate welfare unless you, like, hand them money in another way. So, like, that's the eventual goal. He was basically saying Dude, that that is the goal. Me? No, he, like, totally, like, admitted joking? that the it was, like, a ruse. And it was very bizarre because, like, Dave Rubin basically just, like, fully agreed with that. He's like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great, like, ploy. Or, I mean, he didn't call it a ploy, but, like, fully understood the rationale behind it. And Andrew Yang just, like, let it, laid it all on the table. It's very shocking. Dude, that's so interesting, too, because it's all about, like, energizing the economy, but, like, not giving people basic economic rights and justice. It's just like, oh, we'll just give people, like, a UBI and, like, we're going to build this country back up from the bottom up. It's like, wait, but eventually you want to get rid of Social Security. (laughs) It's basically a way. What's that going to do? Yeah, it's basically a way of saying, like, what excuse do you have now for not pulling yourself up from your bootstraps? Right. Like we've given right. you a thousand dollars a month and you still right. can't pull yourself exactly. up from your bootstraps and As if, pay for yep. a ten thousand dollar healthcare bill for like breaking your leg or whatever. Yep. Like, and, I mean, it, it is it is it is kind of a ruse. But I'm I'm not against the concept at all. I would be very for. I think it's actually a very good idea to have universal basic income, but not in spite of or not, uh, right. in, you know, without other types of social welfare programs. I mean, you still have to have universal health care for everybody. Right. You can't just have one or the other. If you have universal basic income with no universal health care, then it's kind of like, yeah, people will even, society will even have less sympathy for people right. who like can't pay their medical bills. Um, oh, the, one, the thing that I was going to say really quickly is Elizabeth Warren is so out of touch. It really shows you how to touch she is. She tweeted before the debate. She was like, I'm going to make sure that people's pharmaceutical costs are not going to extend $500 a month for pharmaceutical like pills and medication. And I was like, wait, you're not even talking about like healthcare costs. You're actually saying like, you're going to make sure to put a cap on the big pharma so people don't pay more than $500 per month. Like, who are you appealing to here? It was insane that she even tweeted that. Yeah, that's but, pretty. That is pretty. Oh my insane. god! I mean, but that is something that's like we 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 aren't looking at the bigger picture sometimes here because it's like the pharmaceutical companies do sort of run the gov our government to some extent. I mean, they they've lobbied them into the ground that like even if we had universal health care, it's not like the government would be able to run these drug making companies. They would have to like basically you know regulate them in a way that's like never been done before because they will still be able to charge ridiculous amounts of money for their drugs the deductibles yeah, well, will not cover them in I mean, half how but i mean just theoretically how would you even cut drugs in half unless the, you gave out like government vouchers to like pay for people's dry pharmaceuticals you know what i'm saying well that's why i don't i think that bernie would just like just tell the drug companies like you have to like kind of like maduro is just like i'm setting price caps and fuck you if you don't want to go along with them and that's why the Venezuela crisis is out of control, because then they start hoarding goods and da-da-da. But, like, this is the way it's going to be. It's insane price gouging what you're doing. It's totally criminal. And make it illegal. Like he said, I mean, it, it shouldn't be hard to figure out since every other, like, developed country has and no one else experiences pharmaceutical costs the way that we do. But um, I, I just want to just close out by talking about Bernie. I mean, I thought that he went super far. Yes, it was not the most exciting performance I it was not as good as he could have done he definitely blew it on a couple questions but like the questions that I thought he did really well is when he actually responded with the abortion question and he actually 
like insinuated that he would change the rules of the Supreme Court. And I was really surprised by judges. that. Answer. That was I was impressed, and nobody really questioned him on that. I was that yeah, was he right. kind of got away with something, saying some, yeah. something really radical, actually. Yeah, it was super insane. I was like, yeah. wait, this is amazing. Yeah, like, never, what are you talking I about? Any, I never heard him say anything about that before, and like for him to just drop right. that, and no one's like, oh, okay. Or just like, yeah, everyone's just on. like, all right, I guess there's some yeah. caveat in the law where we could just rotate these judges. And he would, and he like insinuated overturning Citizens United, if you got that too. That's a powerful, that's a powerful skill I think Bernie has, is he needs to use that more as going outside the box and talking about like radical positions that no one's even thought of counterpoints to. Right. And just be like, I want right. to do this shit, dude. Yeah. So that was a really strong moment. Of course, another huge moment was when we went hard on the war issue, you know, especially before Biden. I was like, wow, they're really going to ask Bernie second to last. Like, that's amazing. And I think that's what really made him have a strong finish. But he said, why has nothing ever changed? He was like, everyone up here has great plans. Everyone listening is probably like, oh, I I agree with them. I agree with them. And he's like, but nothing ever changes. Why? Because we need a political revolution in this country. And then he goes on. Um, to say the political revolution thing. And then Biden is the last one to end his address. And what did he say? We need to restore the soul and backbone of America and unite America. And the last words out of his mouth, God bless you all and God protect our troops. Wow. I wonder if that was planned or if he just kind of improvised that. It was nuts, dude. And by the way, Kamala Harris raised her hand alongside Bernie about abolishing private insurance. And today she recanted and she was like, I didn't mean to raise my hand. Okay. Really? You didn't mean to raise your hand? Interesting. I wonder if Elizabeth Warren will stay with that. She raised her hand during that part in a really hesitant manner, as we were just saying before. So I wonder if she'll come out with something. Did you? And and so right after the debate ended, did you see um, them trying to interview Biden after the debate? Dude, that was so bizarre. He went right up in the face of the guy and he was like getting inching closer and closer and closer to the guy who was asking him questions. And then he put his hands on the guy's shoulders and was like yelling in his face. Did you see that? Dude, I saw the whole clip is you need to watch it because first he does what you're describing, but he's still like it seems like he's like in an elevated position, like he's not on the ground with the guy. Right. He's kind of like he was on like on stage a stage still. or something, yeah. Yeah, and then right. as the guy is still talking to him, he just starts walking away, but like continuing to do the interview. Like as the guy follows him back up onto the stage, it's very, <laughs> very awkward and very weird. And the camera keeps following Biden as Biden's like walking away from the guy, but continuing to conduct the interview. Like completely wow. unprecedented. Usually, all the candidates, you know, they'll sort of be waiting in a little queue for each show or whatever, just like waiting to go up to talk on these yeah, little right. panels in the audience. Right. But Biden was still on stage and then just like walked away back onto the stage, like during the middle of the interview. I've never seen anything like it. It's very strange behavior. I just couldn't believe how close he was getting to the guy. I know he just that kept was inching closer. That was, and it was very like, awkward. Wow. And did the guy seem to like feel like it was aggressive? Like the guy didn't seem really to react much to it. Well, the guy was trying to keep a straight face because I, yeah. I the camera panned to the guy at the end, and I was like, "Oh, he knows that like this is going to be like a meme or whatever," because it was just so over the top. Um, but let's close this out. I wanted to say, here's the poll after the d- the debates. Biden is down ten points in polls. Warren up two points, Bernie's up three points, Kamala is up 
eight points peeling away from Warren and Biden, which is a good sign. You know, great. Let her peel it away from Warren and Biden. Amazing that Bernie still performed enough to people that he was up three points. I mean, I thought he did a great job with what he what what he had. But I wanted you to close out by talking about Rachel Maddow and how bizarre that was, because I I was very shocked at how babyish and entitled she was acting throughout these debates. I mean, dude, no one's forcing you to do this, dude. How no, many she, millions of dollars are you making moderating these, moderating these debates? She was so visibly upset at not only the candidates, but the audience, and then just scurried away because she refused to be a part of the after pan, like the discussion and the panel afterward. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the system that they have set up where they're supposed to moderate and make sure people stay within their allotted time is like completely flawed because no one does it. They don't, they don't punish them for doing it. Like mm -hmm, they should mm -hmm. actually dock you points or something. If they actually want to make people mm -hmm, like stick mm -hmm. by these rules, they should actually have some kind of punishment for breaking them. Otherwise, everyone's going to break them whenever they see fit. And it seemed like Rachel Maddow was just getting increasingly irritated that the candidates were going over their time. And when they asked them to do these one word responses to what would be the one position you would do if you could only do one during your administration, like what would you get done? Mm -hmm. Um, each candidate, of course, went over the time and didn't just give a one-word response. They gave, like, a 30-second response each. Right. And then Chris Todd's, like, turns to Rachel Maddow before they cut to commercial, and he's like, they did better that time, right? That was shorter. And Rachel Maddow's like, no, absolutely not. It wasn't shorter at all. It was worse. And then and then she's like, I give them a C-. minus. And it was, like, the last thing that, like, the, that the Chuck Todd and her said before cutting to commercial... <laughs> Like in front right. of the audience and the candidates. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, it's hella snarky. Like, are right. you kidding me? And she, yeah. And she was also like, um, yeah. And thanks audience for like really keeping your comments to yourself. She's like, I'm being sarcastic or something like that. And it's like, what, what is wrong with you? Yeah, Seriously. Dude, you're the guy, you're the ones running an unprofessional shit show where like the feed from the green room microphones <laughs> of the previous moderators was like blaring throughout the auditorium for like a whole minute. Right. I mean, it, it just and just the fact that it's like you can't even keep control over these candidates. You let them talk over each other. Like, I don't know. They, they got to have a better setup for that. Like, it, it just the whole scene, the whole thing was really cringe and awkward. I mean, it really yeah, was no, there a was, shit there was show. Technical, there was technical difficulties the second night, too. Not as bad, but, like, there were technical difficulties because Chuck Todd, like, immediately went to commercial again because there was some sort of mic interference that oh, kept happening, God. especially when Bernie was talking. It was like like something going on but afterward when she was still part of the panel she like started clap she was like clapping really loud and obnoxiously like with her hands straight out super mocking like when the whole debate was closing no so I was way. like oh Rachel Maddow's super visibly upset like mocking the audience yes oh yes. dude D and Rachel then Maddow is Chuck a fucking dude mean and then ass Chuck Todd was just dude. like Rachel he's like what do you think about what happened she's like um it's gonna take me a long time before I can like comment on what I just saw I'm I'm wondering if part of what she was upset by was how much burnt um Biden got clobbered during the debate maybe like what it what I wonder what really ultimately got to her Dude, she was just so irate. And then after she, she literally just bounced. She was not supposed wow. to leave. She was that angry because Chuck Todd was like, well, or Brian Williams or someone was like, well, he was like, Rachel. And he was like, I guess Rachel went somewhere that has nothing to do with the debates. Wow. Like that's literally what they said about her. And I was like, wow. what is going on? Seriously, you're acting like you're like volunteering to do this. 
And um, one of the most interesting aspects about both nights, Robbie, we spoke about it in the previous episode that we did, was the lack of questions about Russia, considering this is all you've seen since Trump got elected on CNN, on MSNBC. All all Maddow talks about. Maddow didn't have any questions about it. So I feel like they're either saving them up for future debates or for some reason it's been taken off the table in the Democratic primary platform, which... It's pretty amazing that's the case. I mean, I but I'm just worried it's going to be all about immigration, ultimately. That's what I'm worried Mm -hmm. it's going to be dominated. Um, But, you know, hopefully it brings in more room for foreign policy, good foreign policy discussion. I mean, at the very least, they talked about Iran at all. I mean, they could have talked about Russia instead. I mean, I'm kind of surprised, actually. So that's maybe a little bit of hope here. It was super weird. I mean, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Please leave us comments on the SoundCloud timeline. Please tweet at us. Tell us what the hell you thought about this shit show because it was a complete mess. Um, And yeah, it really set the tone for the dog and pony show that's uh, laid out before us. I mean, it's just going to get weirder, more bizarre. Um, You know, we didn't even mention Kristen Gillibrand, but why? You know, why even mention her? She was just such oh, a shill. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, yeah. I mean, and I, and then we're guilty of doing it too. It's like we're only mentioning the front runners and the people that we like or think are interesting. But still, I mean, yeah, there's too many fucking people here to cover them all. You can get right. the coverage on other places if you want. There are plenty of news outlets that all they do is just analyze the debates and break down every aspect mm-hmm. of them. So, you know, we're just, yeah. Uh, and I, and I had a whole. Commentary. I had a whole preparation of all the top frontrunners who have remotely a chance in all of their positions on Israel and their policies on Israel. So we will save that for the next podcast, which is coming up very soon. So stay tuned for that. None of these candidates are going away, sadly. I wish that all of them could drop out except, you know, a, a very few. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. So I don't know. Do you know when the next debate is, Robbie? I don't. Yeah. No. I think it's Good probably going to be in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. Very fun. Very fun. I love elections in America. It's so fun. Yep. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um Abolish abolish the duopoly. That's all I have to say. But um yeah, I hope that you guys enjoyed our ranting and raving about the the debates and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And please donate to Media Roots Radio to keep independent media alive. Um it takes a lot of work and preparation to put these podcasts together and we really appreciate your support. So go to patreon.com slash media roots radio. Yes. Um thanks everybody for your support so far and uh and uh, we really appreciate it. And we have a little goal up there right now. If we reach 500 um, patrons, we will start releasing uh, detailed show notes with, um, with every episode. So thank you so much. Thanks, you guys.